So for today, I just want to mention the title real quick, which is, uh, hopefully it's up on the screen, Tethers of Grace. Now this is uh, an ambiguous title, um, but you will know what it means by the end of this sermon. So before we get started, uh, I'd like everyone to join with me in prayer. Lord, we glorify your name today. We thank you for mothers. We thank you for uh, a day that you've set apart for yourself, that the Lord's day, that we get to come and meet together, even if it's virtually in this time, to worship you and meditate upon you and devote the first of our week to you, Lord, that you would be uh, on our hearts and minds throughout the rest of the week and that we would devote our lives to you wholly, Lord. I pray that you would give us precious moments with you today and that as people hear the word and uh, are bathed in your spirit during worship today, that we would hear you and see you uh, beyond what's capable of, of human doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our outline today, uh, hopefully we'll get to that slide. Can we go to the outline slide, the next one? Great. So first we're going to talk about the heart of those that fall away. So, uh, tethers are something that hold us to something. And uh, I think one of the things I'll, I'll kind of get to why it's important to talk about they're a heart of people that fall away. And when I mean fall away, I mean fall away from the faith. Um, fall away uh, from God's favor or uh, however you want to say it. But I won't leave you with just that. that. I'll tell you what that looks like because Scripture tells us. Uh, and then Scripture also tells us the response to that. It gives us some encouragement. Um, and then I'm going to speak about how God keeps us until he has completed his good work in us. Uh, there's a great promise given in Philippians 1.6, which we'll discuss. And in one of those ways is his delivery systems of grace. You may have heard this spoken about from other people here. Um, but I'm going to speak of a more specific form of the delivery systems of grace, uh, an outworking of that. There's lots of different ways that we can see grace through these delivery systems, but uh, I'm specifically going towards these, what I'm calling tethers, these uh, things that God uses to keep us. And then I'll give you some examples uh, from my own life, um, from lives of people I know, and, and so forth. So first, I'd like to begin with everyone turning with me to uh, Philippians 1, verse 6. So Philippians 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, this is Paul speaking, and I am sure of this. He's speaking this from, from prison, by the way. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, before we get started, I want this sermon to, to one, stress the importance of, of 
God keeping us. I want to encourage people that he is keeping us. And I want that, all of that, to be brought together to cause a heart of worship today. I want people to rack their brains after I read these examples of examples in their own life of way that, ways that God's kept them and, and be brought to worship of him today. Because this is a great promise. Philippians 1.6 is one of, besides the fact that Christ saves us, this is like, up there in form of promises because it's saying that he saved us and he's going to keep saving us and nothing can change that that's amazing that's groundbreaking and mind-boggling but i know for some of us that uh it's hard to see that because you know we see in scripture that even some people who proclaim to be christians fall away from the away from the faith and not only that but stand in opposition to the cross and that can be disconcerting because it's seemingly like that promise in Philippians 1 6 doesn't hold true but it does and that's why we can be encouraged today and I'll tell you why it holds true so we're gonna go to the slide that's already up there about the heart of those that fall away from the Lord First, these people do exist, right? Scripture tells us, and I'm sure some of us could maybe think of people in our life that may have seemed to fall away from the faith and got really discouraged by it. Because oftentimes these people are people that we are friends with, you know, that are close, that, and there's a time of mourning over them. But it exists, and Scripture tells us it exists. So what it looks like is if you turn to Philippians 3, 18 through 19, which will be in Philippians a lot today, so don't lose your spot. Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears. So Paul's saying there's these people that he's told his, the church about often. And usually when Paul's speaking of people to a church, it's because he speaks to them as people that are important in his life. People that were with him, doing ministry with him. And he's saying, now I tell you even with tears. He's brought to almost a mourning, uh, he's lost friends. And he says, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They've not only uh, broken ties with Paul, but they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's some people that we just lose touch with, right? There's some people that, that uh, uh, maybe they go join a different church. That doesn't make them enemies of the cross, right? Uh, but these people walked with him and now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Not just Paul's enemies, but the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are standing in opposition to Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So what we're seeing here is people that uh, 
from the onset probably held themselves higher than they held God. And that's hard to see. We can't know that about a person. And I'll get to a point where uh, I'll tell you what you can know. But starting out, even if we see someone that seems to be walking away from the faith or falling away, we can't know their heart. God can, they can, but we can't. So it's hard to, to distinguish these people that, that are amongst us that, that have this mindset. But there is a difference. There is a difference, even if we can't see it. Um, and we can see this difference even in Philippians 1, 15 and 17. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's this thing here. It's not just an outworking. We're not just talking about what are people's actions. God's concerned with people's intentions. And those intentions always come out and are always shown in the light. You can see also in Hebrews 3.12, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He's speaking to a congregation that, and saying, beware that this isn't you, right? Take heart that, that you don't have an unbelieving heart. That there be no, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. So, Scripture's response, and this is the encouraging part, because that's pretty, that's a big bummer, honestly, hearing that. Um, losing friends, it's a bummer. So, but there's, there's some encouragement found in Scripture. One is that God can use wrong intentions for good ends. Philippians 1, 15 through 18 so we just said 15 and 17. We skipped 16 and we skipped 18, right? So we're going to read the whole thing now. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay? So there's an important distinction here. This is, is this, they may have the wrong intentions, but they're still preaching the same gospel that Paul is. All right? Paul has no room in his heart to rejoice for a false gospel. You can find that in his other writings. But God can take a, a wicked intention and, and use it for good. So that's encouraging. So if there's lots of people out there who we see um, following a movement of God or a pastor or something, and we see this pastor fall into great sin, we don't have to be discouraged that all those people he spoke to 
have been have missed the gospel somehow. They can still hear God. And 2 Corinthians 13.5 says that we can examine ourselves. So this is what I was talking about earlier. You see in Hebrews 13.12 that take care, brothers, lest you have any evil, unbelieving hearts in yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So you can know this about yourself. You can know whether you have this unbelieving heart. Or if you have the one that holds firm to the promise of Philippians 1.6. That's encouraging. Because uh, the next thing that scripture tells us is that you can repent. If you examine yourself and see that you aren't in the faith. Now, this is a great one that kind of shows someone with an evil intention for God's good gifts and, uh, you know, a response to them that doesn't lose the weight of what's happening, the situation, but also carries with it grace. So Acts 8, 18 through 24, if you'd like to turn with me there. Acts 8.18 says this. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. By the way, Simon's a magician who is famous in his area for, for doing great, wondrous things. All right. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read earlier on, you can see that Simon's heart isn't, I want to give people the Holy Spirit so that they can enjoy God more. It's, I want to lay, give people the Holy Spirit because I want to be known as great. So Peter says in response, he says, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. That seems pretty damning. That seems like he has no hope. Because it's serious. If he remains in the state he's in, there is no hope. But Peter goes on to say, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said to me may come come upon me. So there is hope. When we respond to someone, we don't want to take light their intent of their heart or the evilness of their heart. Or even when you're examining yourself, you don't want to take lightly if you, are, if you have an unbelieving heart. 
but it's an opportunity to repent and come before the Lord and ask him to change that evil heart. So then if we do repent, it's even more encouragement because it says if we do repent, we become citizens of heaven. And this is in Philippians 3.20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's saying that if you're the person who's repented, Philippians 1.6 is for you. That's a really cool promise. It's not saying that if you do all the Christian things that Philippians 1.6 is for you. Because there's people who do Christian things with the wrong heart. But God gives us a new heart when he saves us, when he regenerates us. And that's what, what makes Philippians 1.6 true for us. And you can only know that about yourself in an examination. And God knows your heart. I can't know that about someone. I can see their actions, but I can't see the intent of their heart. So it's important to examine yourself and, and take these scriptures and uh, see them as important and holding weight because they do. So we're going to come to the good part. <laughs> All right. This promise. This is the promise is the 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 crux of my sermon today it's the i want to encourage people i've been encouraged a lot these last two weeks reflecting on uh this promise so that's philippians 1 6 for those who forgot what it says it says and i am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ so we're going to talk about the delivery systems of grace um this is something that uh, is pretty evident of ways that God gives us grace. And there's lots of different ways he gives us grace, uh, or forms, I should say, like uh, encouragement or reproof or rebuke or whatever it is. But I'm going to talk about uh, the grace of keeping us. So these delivery systems are, one, the Word, the Spirit, and the Church. And inside the church, we're going to look at a couple different delivery systems of grace that are kind of subcategories to the church. So there's ways that God gives us grace and keeps us in the church through relationships, through ministry, and through vision. And I'll explain what those mean when we read scripture. So I'm going to be able to, I'm going to show you that all five of these things can be found in scripture just in philippians and uh, if you want some homework which i know everyone does we've got nothing better to do with this time right uh, i'd encourage you to go find other scripture verses that can show and attest to these delivery systems of grace that's a fun project and it will keep you busy probably for the rest of your life <laughs> so Philippians 1, if you want to turn with me to Philippians 1. Starting in verse 3, and you'll see some of the verses we've talked about come back in, in some of these. So Philippians 1, starting in 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine 
for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So right, in it, right here you see he says partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That sounds like he's doing ministry with them. Right? And then verse 6 is, is that promise. It's nestled in, in these delivery systems. It's nestled in these tethers that I've talked about. Is, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. That seems like he's got a pretty deep relationship with these people, doesn't it? You don't hold someone in your heart that, that uh, you're not friends with, that's not close to you. And he says, for you all are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. Again, that's that relationship we see with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. The knowledge he's talking about is the word, right? And all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The only way you can approve what is excellent is if something excellent has taken over your wicked heart, which is the grace of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So all we have left here is, is uh, a vision. And that's usually one that is uh, very few experience in their life. Um, a lot of people experience it, but but if you really want to get a vision, it takes a lot of commitment. And we see that in Philippians 2, 19 through 22, when Paul is speaking of Timothy. And this is what it means to get someone's vision, is if you get someone's vision, they'll speak about you the way that Paul speaks about Timothy. So if you really want to be tethered to, to God and, and experience his grace, be a Timothy to, to Paul. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. That's really great. You know, it's hard to walk away from a father who's, who, uh, you know, it's unusual in our culture for someone to um, understand their father's heart these days. It was a lot more common in that culture because, you know, you took over your father's business. That was basically most of your father's life, and you were charged with taking it over. You had to know his heart. You had to know what he desired. And Timothy knew what Paul desired. 
Paul is basically saying in these verses that if I send Timothy to you, it's basically me sending myself to you. Because he gets my vision. He gets my heart. He gets the gospel that I've been preaching. He is equally concerned for you as I am. So you see all five of these things coming out just in Philippians. And so that's what scripture tells us. Uh, And I'll, I'll give you some examples so that you can see this and start thinking about it in your own life. So I don't know if we have the example slide up. Uh, I'll give you the first story is one of my wife. <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago, I was humbled my, by my wife. And I thank God for that. Uh, you know, there's times where all of us have wandering hearts that lead us to want to not love to love God, basically. You know, we, if there aren't these tethers, there's nothing holding us to God. Um, If there's not this grace in our life, what is to bring us back to God when our hearts wander? So my wife was a very tangible way of this. You know, I found myself a few weeks ago wandering, my heart wandering from God, and and I knew this, and she knew this, because both of us were kind of in this state where we felt dry. We didn't have a hunger to read the Word. We didn't have a hunger to be in worship, or, you know, it's in a, accentuated by this time where we're spending less and less time in community with the church, people uh, that are those tethers for us. And she's, she, you know, so she's like, here's the evidence. Here's what's going on in your heart. Uh, what are we going to do about it? And me and my pride and, and whatever was like, what do you mean? Well, I'll be fine. Like, <laughs> I got this. I'm the husband. I'll, I'll take lead and charge or whatever. And we're fine. I'm leading my household well. And she's like, maybe you're not doing so great. <laughs> and, uh. She, re- she called me back to God, basically. And after pouting for a while, I realized this by the grace of God. Um, if, that, if I was chief in my heart before God, she couldn't come to me with that without pride overtaking me. And that's, that's a beautiful example. So another example is single households. Uh, I've experienced this. A lot of people in our church have. uh, What we do with single households is we get a lot of single people together, and they all live together in a household. Guys with guys and and girls in another house, right? And some of the things that this does is keeps you accountable. Uh, I can't tell you how many morning worships I did not want to go to (laughs) at 6 a.m., but found fruit in them. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to slack off, not go to church or whatever it was, and my Christian brothers encouraged me. You know, it's really hard to sin in a household full of Christians. (laughs) You can't do any crazy sins, right? You can't throw wild parties because they'll just complain to you and tell the elders on you. (laughs) 
unless you get them in on the parties, but that's hard to do when there's five of them, <laughs> uh, no matter how fun your household is. <laughs> uh, but another thing is, is we've all experienced encouraging scriptures where we've been reading scripture and like it hits us like a ton of bricks. And we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't go into this reading thinking anything was wrong with me, but now I realize there is. Or all of us have experienced having that scripture that we hold dear to our hearts, that we've memorized, that encourage us, encourages us in times where, where we kind of forget God's grace. We also have that in powerful encounters of the Holy Spirit during worship. I know that the quickest way to soften my heart is for me to come into the Lord's presence. Another thing is, is something that I, why it's so important to take seriously this virtual meeting, um, because it's, it's harder to do this virtually than it is uh, in person, but coming to church is a tether of God. It's a grace of God to us. That if you think so highly of the Lord's Day, that you come, rain or shine, like you're the U.S. Postal Service, like you're always going to come, whether you want to or not, uh, oftentimes in the midst of that, God changes your heart. This is where you encounter those scriptures that you can't read to yourself. This is where you are lifted up by the congregation of saints around you into worship when you're spirit is weakened and their spirit is full of life and it lifts you up into God's presence. This is where you get to see the vision of those Pauls in your life. Where you get to be around other people serving in ministry and, and building relationships at lunch after Sunday service. It's an important part of the Christian life, and it's something we shouldn't neglect. And uh, it's hard to do that virtually. I get that. But one of the ways is that we can battle that is by making it important. You know, getting dressed, getting out of bed to watch the service, maintaining a schedule of, of meeting when everyone else is, watching this live, you know standing during prayer or worship or during the reading of scripture, taking communion with everyone, even if it's uh, like some of us have, have done as grape juice and cheese it crackers, <laughs> right? But holding it in high regard and taking it serious and calling those people in the church. Don't, don't forget to call people, uh, write letters, whatever, commune with people. You don't have to isolate yourself, and you don't have to leave others isolated. You can reach out to other people and be grace to them. So uh, in kind of closing, normally uh, I kind of do a summary, and I might summarize this a little bit more at the end here, but before I get there, I'd like to do, I'd like to read you a hymn. Um, I'll read the whole thing for you if I can get through it because it makes me cry every time I read it. <laughs> but uh, it's Come Thou Fount by uh, Robert Robinson. So, Come Thou Fount, 
says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing. Basically, delivery systems of grace, never ceasing. Tethers, never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. That's what I want our hearts to be after we realize this and reflect on some of the things that God's done to, to keep us, the things that have drawn us back to him, should call us for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. I'm going to go ahead and jump to the third verse here. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, get this, fetter is basically a tether. <laughs> Bind. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Hear my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, I know I want to make it through that. Uh, that's powerful. Our hearts are wicked. They wander. For some reason, we want to leave a God who loves us. And it's true of every single person I know. I've never met a Christian who could make it on their own who can make it without some fetter, some way that God has bound their hearts and sealed them for his courts above. Revelation 6 speaks of, of a book of life that's been sealed that only Christ can open. You go back to Philippians 1.6 that speaks of, of God that's going to bring to completion a good work that he's begun to us at, at the returning of Jesus Christ. When Christ goes and unseals that book of life and reads our names. It's bound in a book that you'll be with Christ. And the way he binds that is through his church, through his word and through his Holy Spirit. These things that we surround ourselves or that God surrounds us with that keep us, that cause us from falling away. Because if it wasn't for his grace, we would wander. We would walk away. So legend has it there's a story written about Robert Robinson, after he's written this hymn, uh, I don't know how true it is, uh, 
the sources, it's kind of hearsay, but because it was such a long time ago that he wrote it. But the, I'll just read the legend here. It says, in a spirituality backslidden condition, the author was traveling in a stagecoach one day. His only companion was a young woman unknown to him. In the providence of God, and not realizing who it was she was, who she spoke with, the woman quoted, Come thou fount of every blessing, saying what an encouragement it had been to her. And to try as he might, Robinson could not get her to change the subject. We all know this kind of woman. <laughs> Finally, he said with tears in his eyes, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feeling I then had. Gently, she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. And the legend says that he was deeply touched by that. As a result of the encounter, he repented. His fellowship with the Lord was restored through the ministry of his own hymn <laughs> and as a Christian's willing witness. So even if this isn't true, it's a great story that shows uh, the example I'm talking about. God's ways that he, he can cause a stranger in an act of love and witness to draw us back to him. So... Uh, I want everyone to be encouraged by this. I want everyone to want to praise God because of this. Because if you've been a Christian longer than a week, your heart has wandered from God. And someone has pulled you back to him. And you have something you can remember of God's grace. And that causes us to praise him. So Lord, thank you for, for this message you've given us this truth of grace, these tethers that keep us for you. I pray that you would uh, cause everyone listening to recall your grace to them and to be uplifted and uh, to cause rejoice in your church today. Amen.